Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bikini Podcast. This is episode number 75 and today we're going to be talking about amateur Australian shows versus the amateur international shows of 2022 and in particular I'm also going to discuss the amateur Olympia in Japan and the results of that as well as the amateur Olympia just recently in Las Vegas. Now before I get started with this episode it would be greatly appreciated if you really enjoy the Bikini Podcast share it on social media tag me on Instagram. I have noticed there's an increase in viewership whenever I do a podcast, but not a lot of people are sending me a DM or giving me feedback or sharing it on socials. So definitely get that done. Send me a message. Let me know whether you agree or whether you disagree with me. Hit me up. So I wanted to get started and discuss the Amateur Olympia in Japan. And I wanted to say what an incredible experience it was, what an incredible show it was. Probably one of the best, if not the best show I've ever been to from an amateur perspective. And From a professional perspective, it was actually quite good as well. The pro show that they put on was very, very good. It was run like clockwork and it was just, um, as a coach, it was an incredible experience. A lot of athletes had a great experience from, I mean, what can I say about this show? If if you're a competitor, for example, if you got a time spot to get tanned at 11 o'clock, if you rock up at 10 to 10 and go, I'm ready to get tanned, they're going to say your appointment's at 11 o'clock, you need to wait. Everything there runs like clockwork. Everything there is on schedule. So if you rock up at 11 o'clock, you can pretty much guarantee that you're getting tanned at 11 o'clock. If your appointment's at 11.30, you're gonna get tanned at 11.30. There is no lines, there is no delay. Everything there is is accounted for and literally runs on, on time. It's amazing to see. The backstage experience as a coach was incredible. You obviously pay for a backstage pass and you have the opportunity to go backstage, you have the opportunity to go back backstage. You'll notice at, so for the amateur competitors that are listening, uh, whether they're male or female athletes in Australia, you know, there's only, a, there's only certain spots that you're allowed backstage as a coach, right? At the amateur Olympia in Japan, you can go anywhere you like backstage, literally. So if you're waiting to go on stage and you know, you're pumping up and you're seeing the girls walk out in front of you doing their routine, your coach can be on the side of the stage next to you, talking to you, you know, getting you to pump up, giving you a, like, I don't know, some psychology, some mindset work, whatever you want, just some TLC, some support. It's really, it's really all about the athlete and, it, and, and seeing it firsthand and witnessing it was amazing. And it's interesting, at the Amateur Olympia Japan was like that, but they also, um, look, going back to the Amateur Olympia in Romania, it was actually run quite well as well. And that was a Wings of Strength show. But going back to the Japan show, as a coach, treated you like a VIP. Provided that you had the backstage pass, you could do what you like. And provided that you were respectful, the staff were respectful of athletes. There was no yelling, there was no screaming, there was no anything but absolute respect. And the backstage people, the event organizers were quite helpful. They had everything run on schedule, everyone was where they needed to be. There was no sense of urgency or sense of frustration backstage. And although there was a massive language barrier because they primarily speak Japanese, it's not a big English speaking country. The event organizers and the event staff backstage were very patient with foreigners who obviously struggled with English and they showed no frustration and everything ran on time, everything was perfect the actual production quality of the show was amazing from the lighting 
from the stage, from the MC. The MC was actually probably one of my favorite MCs I've ever witnessed in real life. He was quite entertaining and very enthusiastic from the get-go. Every amateur competitor was announced like they were a legend. And sitting in the crowd, it was a really cool experience to see that they also gave the amateur competitors a lot of stage time. So when the novice ladies walked out, we had a few competitors from Australia do the novice division. They really gave these ladies ample stage time. They didn't cut the routine short. You know, you get the full routine, you do your thing, you get adequate time for comparisons. And the judges also I, I judged, judged it very, very fairly and very well. I noticed that, the, uh, for example, in the novice class, the head judge gave the other judges, because I was watching very carefully, the head judge gave the other judges an opportunity to move other competitors around, to give them a look in, to get them a comparison. And then they did the final call outs in the end for, for confirmation and they were placed as they were placed. Now in the open classes, A, B and C and D, A and B were really, really stacked. And in particular, I would say B was absolutely monstrous in terms of the caliber of competition that was involved. Not just the amount of competitors, it was like four, I think there was like 40 plus in class B and I think class A would had, you know, just slightly under 40 competitors. So it was a very big class and we had Australians compete in both classes. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna run through the results of the novice and the open, but before we discuss the open, I just wanna give credit to the three Australian girls who place within the novice categories. So we get Tabby in first place, second place we've got Beck, and third place we've got Karina. And all three ladies competed at season B nationals in Australia, and all three ladies improved on their package with a tighter package for this show, which is really good to see. So the opens straight into it let's get to it so we got uh, in class a i believe miles was in class a so miles was very successful winning the queensland overall title and then going to nationals winning her height class at nationals class a i believe and then obviously getting to the overall not earning the pro card there wanting to go to japan to earn the pro card um wasn't successful i believe wasn't in the top six at this show and i would say that miles was probably better not probably, she was better in Australia. I, I truly believe that the Queensland package was the best package, probably a little bit worse at nationals and then got a little bit worse in Japan. But um, moving forward, redeemed herself in terms of her placing at the Hawaiian show and then moved on to the Amateur Olympia which uh, in Vegas, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but that was one of the most stacked classes I've seen in a short, <laughs> short class. The, the top two were absolutely freaky. The conditioning level of these ladies were absolutely insane. And that's what I'm gonna say, like Miles is no slouch in the conditioning department. Um, she's no slouch in the glute department. Very impressive rear shot. But these ladies in Japan were on another level. And the conditioning that was rewarded at this show was something that probably wouldn't be rewarded in Australia. And this is something that I wanted to discuss as well. And in class B, we had a few really good competitors. We had Pri Escobar, who was in the top call out. And we had Catherine Kavanagh, who was outside the top call originally and then moved sort of in that top call-out spot um, but didn't get an opportunity to get compared with the top call. But placed, I believe, fifth or sixth, but so moved up a few spots. This show would have been extremely challenging to judge. I believe there was five judges on the panel, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think there were seven. But imagine having 30 or 40 competitors per class and you've got to go through everyone and write everyone's name down and, and make sure you don't miss out on anyone. So... 
wouldn't have been easy. It's kind of like the Olympia, you know, the Olympia, 54 competitors. But of course, um, you know, these ladies are seen all the time and I suppose a little bit more well-known to the judges. But with um, Class C, Emma Bowman actually won Class C and ends up winning her pro card. So that was really good to see. Placed second in the open, in her open class at IFB Australian Nationals. And, you know, it's always been in the mix for a pro card. So just congratulations to Emma Bowman for getting it done. The For anyone that's listening, the top three in the overall earn your pro card at an amateur Olympia. So if you compete at an amateur Olympia worldwide and you place top three in your overall, you earn your pro card. And in class D, we had Tabby Knight taking out that, 20 years old, taking out an amateur Olympia title. Probably, I would say, the youngest Australian competitor to win an amateur Olympia or to win an international show for an open class, which is very, very impressive. So I wanted to circle back and actually discuss the overall. And, you know, first, second, third. So class A and class B winner was... I, I remember seeing the overall winner backstage um, when Tabby was pumping up. So having the opportunity to go backstage and um, help out your competitor, literally, literally side of stage was a blessing, right? And um, treated with the utmost respect, the competitors and the coaches. Now, when Tabby was pumping up, I was having a look at the competitors and going, okay, you know, how's everyone looked? And the lady that I had picked for the overall, I'm like, okay, she has to win the overall. Red bikini, striations in her glutes not just like lightly striated i'm talking deep striations deep dimple in her glute deep striations really dry lower back probably a little bit on the flatter side i would say not not just well conditioned but i would say super conditioned for context striations in the delt striations in the quads everything's popping everything's super lean when you're doing an rdl backstage and you've got not just a little bit of fiber in your glutes you've got full fibers happening as you're doing an, an RDL, as you're hinging your hips out, you know, for glute activation to pump up your glutes, you know, that's a lean athlete. So the level of conditioning that was rewarded for the overall winner, and by the way, this overall winner wasn't super dense. It wasn't like she had super, super dense, big muscle. She was probably medium levels in, in terms of size. So a decent level of muscle, had the best rear shot of the day, super conditioned. But why I wanted to discuss this was that, you know, someone that looked as incredible as she did and i agree with this decision you know if you put her on an australian stage where does she place i think that she would be should have been told that she's too lean um, and that's that's some of the i suppose an issue that we've had um in the australian ranks a lot of competitors are you know if they if they come in really lean and look it is debatable it is subjective it is depending on who you, who you get up against right but we have had australia's australian competitors in the past so for example Florence is a good example, season A, 2022, wins first, second, third at New South Wales, pretty much the New South Wales overall winner, comes back to the season A nationals and places, well, doesn't place, is in the second call out. And the only reason why you're going to put Florence in the second call out is probably because she's too lean, right? Rear shot comparable to, to pros, pro level density in the glute hamstrings, very, very impressive um, proportions, posing, etc. You put Florence next to the Japanese overall amateur Olympia winner, she's going to look very similar in terms of conditioning. I would say that the Japanese overall winner would have been leaner, to be fair. But my point is, is that what is too lean in Australia is 
you've got room to move overseas, in, at least at the Japan show, right? And I'll get to the Amateur Olympia in Vegas in a, in a little bit too and have a discussion around that. But it just gives people an idea of, of what the judging is like overseas. So you also have someone, let's say like Mon. Mon's a good example, competed season B. Um, I know that the feedback would have been too lean, right? Too lean because she was popping. Okay, cool. Put her next to the, in terms of conditioning, right? I'm not talking about size, flow, proportion, etc. You put her level of condition next to the Japanese overall winner and how does she look? She actually looks softer compared to the, the overall winner. Context, ladies. So what can be looked at and viewed as too lean in Australia can be looked as you're okay overseas. And before anyone comments on you know who was judging this show, we've got an Olympia-level judge who was judging the pre-judging for the bikini, who was judging the Olympia finals for bikini, a very experienced Olympia judge that was judging the amateur Olympia in Japan. So we've got a high-level judge that is rewarding high-level conditioning. So there does seem to be a little bit of confusion from a coach's point of view, from my point of view, from the athlete's point of view in terms of what type of conditioning is allowed and rewarded in Australia. And I do think that the athletes are held back in terms of conditioning. And I know that I believe that the coaches are held back. So I look at things and question it. I had to talk to some of my competitors for season B and say, look, we, we might need to soften up a little bit. You know, we're gonna be we're gonna be too lean for the criteria in Australia. And what I would like to see is for there to be consistent criteria, as consistent as possible, a uniform criteria, international standard that is also rewarded in Australia. The level of conditioning for bikini for me is quite obvious. And having traveled overseas and seen it firsthand, it only confirmed what I've seen in photos. It only confirmed what I've seen in videos. If anything, it probably made the conditioning even more obvious. I actually was surprised because conditioning in real life is completely different to conditioning in photos and video. If you're a super conditioned athlete, you are going to look a lot better in real life than you are in photos, than you are in videos. So seeing, for example, the amateur Olympia Japanese winner backstage pumping up and seeing her on stage under the stage lights and the level of conditioning that she was in, she's walking to the rear and she's got striations in her glutes. You know, she's popping like crazy. Striations in her delts, veins in her abs, everything's popping. She was not, <laughs> she was not freaking, she, she, she was vascular, she was everything, right? You could even argue maybe she was a little bit flat on the flatter side, could have carved up a little bit more. Still super impressive, right? Crazy shoulder to waist ratio, unbelievable glutes, hamstrings. And you guys can go on NPC News Online and look up the photos and you'll see, see it for yourself, right? And the photos actually, I had a look at, doesn't show, doesn't do her justice. She's actually a lot leaner than what the photos show, but you can still see the level of conditioning in the rear shot. It was incredible to see in real life because conditioning pops in real life. Now, I've, I, I have seen, you know, the, some really interesting decisions in Australia that I disagree with. And, you know, from a size, symmetry, proportion, flow standpoint, I think, for example, you know, sweeter, New South Wales, for example, perfect example is the junior lineup. Absolutely easily won juniors. It wasn't even close, but wasn't rewarded with a win. And for me, that's not something, that's not a subjective position. I don't even think it's debatable. I think it's blatantly obvious. And when there is a discrepancy in the judging, when there is a discrepancy amongst fans, when there's a discrepancy amongst coaches and coaches are coming up 
to each other and talking, hey, hey man, that's crazy, da, 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 without naming names, it's a problem because we can see what's going on. We can see that there isn't a consistent standard. We can see that some ICN competitors are winning and, and, it, and it's, not, it's not fair on the competitors who deserve to win. And this is no, this is not throwing shade at competitors and, and saying how shit someone is or isn't. This is about rewarding who is the best in the day. This is about rewarding the best athlete, whether it's a client of mine or whether it's a client of another coach. Because the sport is going to be held back in Australia and it's going to be continued to held back if we're holding back condition, if we're holding back size, and if it's not judged accordingly. So before I keep con- continuing down the road of Japan, I actually want to go to the Olympia in Vegas and talk about some of the athletes that competed and congratulate a lot of the Australian competitors because we had some really good success over there. So we had, I believe, eight high classes, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. So Miles comes back and I believe Miles wasn't in A, she was in B. Miles wins class B, which was awesome. Uh, D, I believe Jade won class D. Catherine was third. And then Kirsty was in class F and placed the second. And then we also had another Australian competitor in Victoria who was in class G, I believe, and ends up winning that. So we had three Australians win, which um, was awesome to see. Congratulations to all three ladies. And then we had the overall. Now, the stronger classes of the day were class E and F. I believe class E was probably the most stacked. I remember seeing the top five in class E, and I was like, wow. The top five in class E, even the top four, you know, all four ladies or even all five, you can include the top five in class E, were deserving of pro cards. It was stacked. These ladies were quite well developed and they were very well conditioned with very good structure. And the posing, the level of posing certainly has improved overseas. I used to find it interesting that the, you know, whenever I used to watch live streams, like let's say NPC Nationals, North Americans, etc., the level of posing that I've seen overseas wasn't the best, but it's certainly caught, it's catched up now. The, the Americans are definitely posing better at an amateur level. The Americans are be- definitely posing better at a professional level. The sport in general is evolving, but the amateur competitors that were in class E were absolutely incredible. And class F was pretty well stacked as well. And uh, going, move, okay, moving forward to the overall, again, same rule applies. You have the three ladies who top, the top three ladies in the overall earn the pro cards. Unfortunately, no Australians won the pro cards. First, second, third, what do they look like? Okay. Obviously, class E, as I mentioned, was the most stacked. And I was like, whoever wins class E is going to win the overall. Because when I seen these ladies walk out, I was like, this is absolutely crazy. And seeing these ladies backstage, I was super impressed with the level of conditioning, everything that was just popping, right? So class E winner wins the overall, well-deserved. And class F winner, so unfortunately for Kirsty, who's in second, was beaten by you know the, the lady who won second in the overall. And then we also had, I think it was class C winner, ended up taking third place. Now, what did first, second, third have in common, right? And this is something that I wanted to discuss because obviously some of you ladies would have watched the live stream. Some of you ladies would have paid attention to, you know, maybe didn't watch the live stream, but paid attention to, you know, who was competing, the Australian girls who won and looking at socials and, you know, checking out stories and supporting everyone. That would have been cool. But... To be there in real life, to see exactly what was going on, right? The level of conditioning, first, second, and third, was crazy, okay? I would say that we didn't have the same level of conditioning in terms of what was rewarded in Japan. And because that lady in Japan who won the overall was absolutely peeled out of her 
peeled inside out, like I mentioned. But the ladies at this show, that first, second, third, super conditioned. It wasn't like, oh, a little bit conditioned, super conditioned. Super tight in the midsection, super tight in the quads, you know, super tight in the delts, lower back, glute hamstring tines were popping. And it was quite obvious to me that conditioning is the name of the game. So, you know, would if these ladies were judged in Australia, would they have won their high classes? Debatable. You know, I think the Class C winner in particular was very well conditioned, one of the most conditioned athletes in the top three, but probably didn't have the fullness as, as first and second did. And, you know, she obviously was well-deserving of a pro card, but the level of conditioning that she was in, I'm not too confident that would have been awarded in Australia. I'm not too confident that she would have been, you know, in a top three. She could have probably been in the second call-out. It could have been a Florence situation where, you know, like I said, Florence was really well-conditioned, wasn't in the top call-out, and I actually had Florence, worst-case scenario, second at that show that I mentioned. And the other competitor that I thought was in the mix, top two, was Alex Chapman. Really, really good condition, really good balance, super good glutes from the rear, etc. So I would say that Florence was probably you know, for context, a little bit tighter than Alex Chapman, but Alex Chapman had the overall package where very well conditioned for the category, really good balance, flow proportion, et cetera. They were the top two. The point is, is that I'm comparing condition to give you ladies an insight and you can look at competitors and go, okay, so Alex looked like that, you know, Florence looked like that, and this competitor looked like this. Give you everyone a visual, right? Because of course, you Australian competitors out there, athletes, know who these ladies are. But going back to the judging, right? So, the point of this is I wanted to have a discussion and to be as respectful as possible, but to create dialogue, right? Because this needs to be discussed. When you have Australian competitors who are marked down for being too conditioned, who end up being in the second call out, and there's numerous competitors that, not even that I, not, not just ladies that I coach, but coaches, um, you know, from other teams, etc., have expressed their concerns and they're like, oh, Troy, what do you think about this? And I'm like, no, that's, I don't agree with that decision. The problem is, is that, we're so used to the Australian judging when we're now becoming acclimatized to what's being rewarded. Then some people are debating me when the Australian shows are on. They're like, hey, Troy, no, this is, I saw it like this. It's because you guys just watch Australian shows. If you watch the international shows, if you have international clients and you're winning pro cards international, you can see the standards different, right? So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to coach ladies on an international level, won pro cards, you know, in Europe, won pro cards in New Zealand, you know, won pro cards in North America. So, I have seen, and obviously in Asia as well, I've seen what the judging is like because I have had clients earn their pro cards and also win international shows in open in open classes, you know, from the Olympia to the Arnold Classics, etc. So I've seen what is rewarded overseas. I'm seeing what, you know, what beats my competitors. I've seen what my competitors uh, are up against and, and sometimes who they beat. So it's important to have a discussion about this and for us to find a solution. What is the solution? I don't know. I think having a discussion is the first part of the story. But it is very, very obvious that the level of conditioning overseas is certainly different and is rewarded compared to what, what is in Australia. And a lot of the ladies in Australia, I feel like are marked down where I believe personally that they shouldn't be based on what I've seen. I'm going to say the amateur Olympia in Japan serves as the best rule for the level of conditioning that is acceptable for an overall winner because she was peeled inside out and it was she was rewarded with that level of of condition in a very stacked overall lineup. Class A and class B were very impressive. You could do a coin flip who wins the overall because we had 
probably a little bit less conditioned, but a lot more size versus super conditioned, and they gave it to super conditioned in the rear shot. And I don't have a problem with that because the debate can be had. And of course, that people are going to be like, Troy, can you do like a video? Can you do a video wrap up and do share some photos? Of course, I could do that. But my point is quite simple. It's, the point is this. Conditioning, in my view, in my opinion, needs to be rewarded in Australia because it is awarded overseas when you have Olympia-level judges that are on the judging panel. So, and this is another thing. It's not one judge's fault. We have seven judges on the panel in Australia. All seven have the equal opportunity to vote. So we, we might have, you know, we definitely have some good judges in Australia. You know, you could have two, three good judges on the panel. And then what happens if you have four other judges that are on the panel that are in disagreement, majority rules, what happens? So I, I truly believe that these judges need to be looking at overseas shows and seeing what's rewarded and the level of conditioning that's acceptable. And when conditioning is not rewarded, um, there might be other factors that influence a decision. Sometimes you have a competitor who is not as conditioned, but has really, really good shape, really good flow. And they're rewarded in a softer position because their overall shape carries them. It's kind of like, you know, back in the day, talking, talking about bodybuilding, when Flex Wheeler, you know, used to win shows when he didn't have his glutes in. He was beating dudes, um, you know, with soft glute hamstring tie-in because of his gnarly shape and the other poses and how he presented his physique because of his crazy, crazy shape and fullness. His proportions are wacky. You know, he didn't need to win with glute hamstring conditioning. So everything requires context, but that's at the highest level. At an amateur level, conditioning wins. And this is something that we need to discuss and this is something that we need to review and to look at. And I would like to push it forward. Of course, with the winners of these overalls that I'm talking about, or the winner, the owner of these pro cards, both at the Amateur Olympia in Vegas and the Amateur Olympia in Japan, they have immaculate structures. Shoulder to waist ratio. The Japanese overall winner, crazy shoulder to waist ratio. The first and second at that show, crazy shoulder to waist ratio. Really small waist. The Vegas was the same thing. All three ladies, insane, right? So they are rewarding structure. If you've got a wide waist and bikini, I'm sorry, this isn't. Uh, this isn't a message to attack you, but you're not going to do well in the long run. If you've got a thick, wide waist, it's going to be challenging for you to earn a pro card. It's going to be challenging for you to win a pro show should you want to do that. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's certainly going to be a lot harder when you see the level of proportion, the level of structure and shape that some of these freaks that are winning these amateur Olympias, like you, once you see these competitors, you'll understand when you see them in person, when you see them in real life. And the next generation of pros are coming up. And as the sport evolves, you're going to have more freaks that are going to make it to the Olympia. You're going to have more freaks that are going to be in the top 10. And if you look at the Olympia this year, this was by far the most stacked Olympia. Is the Pacini placed ninth? Is the Pacini placed ninth? With a waist like that, that shoulder-to-waist ratio, absolutely cartoonish, alien-like, ninth place. So that goes to show you the, the, caliber, of the caliber of competition that's rewarded. Uh, well, sorry, the caliber of competition that's coming up and the level of shape, the level of condition that's rewarded. Is the Pacini slightly off? What happens? Boom, ninth place. You can have the wildest front pose, but your glute hamstrings aren't in, you're getting pushed out. And that's how, it, that's how I believe it needs to be. When you're looking at the best of the best, conditioning matters because shape or portion flows, you know, a lot of, a lot of it's subjective, but it's there. It's debatable. Conditioning is either there or it's not. And if conditioning's not there, you don't get looked at. And that was exactly the case with the overall winner in Japan and the overall winner in 
Las Vegas for the Amateur Olympia. All right, so what we're going to do now is I'm going to get to some listener questions and I'm going to go through this because we've got some interesting ones here. And I actually really like, so I had um, one athlete, really good competitor, reach out to me and say, hey, Troy, can I bombard you? I don't want to bombard you with questions. I said, bombard me. You know the sport. Like I'm thinking to myself, (laughs) you know the sport, you love the sport, you're going to ask really insightful questions and a lot of ladies are going to want to know the answer. Some ladies are scared to ask questions. And ladies, if I do a question and answer box, you know, so many ladies listen to this. Don't be afraid to ask a question. I'll keep it anonymous, of course. I don't have to say who, who, what your name is. And um, all questions are, you know, if you ask me five questions, all interesting ones, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer them because a lot of ladies want to want to listen. So the first question here that I got is the standard. Where does Australia do it wrong? Difference with, between Japan and US judging standard. Of course, I went over that. I think that it comes down to watching international shows and having the experience. So... For me, before traveling overseas, you know, obviously because COVID was an issue, I was always watching the overseas shows. I was paying attention to the amateur results. I was paying attention to the professional results, the pro shows. So I knew the level of condition that was rewarded. I knew the level of size that was rewarded. Of course, things are different in person, but it gives you an indication. So if you're looking at the results and if you're passionate about the category, if you have an interest in the category, you're going to know what's going on. I truly believe that some judges don't have an interest in bikini. It's an afterthought. You know, they're fans of bodybuilding that's fine i used to think back in the day bikini sucked i was a fan of bodybuilding i couldn't care to give two shits about bikini back in the day and i was like i just want to watch the bodybuilders i don't really care about anything else i actually really didn't like men's physique and didn't like bikini but now i really like men's physique and i really like bikini so your taste changes and i think we need to have judges that are in place that really enjoy bikini that study bikini or maybe not study but at least pay attention to the results and know the criteria and the best way to do that probably is to have perhaps bikini pros in Australia on the judging panel and to have the judging panel educated. And then someone says, hey, listen, I'm on the panel all day. I'm going to have a smoker when bikini's on. Have a smoker, step step off the panel and we can have a bikini pro step on the panel and judge bikini because they have an interest in it. I think that's probably a start. It's not the solution. It's not a, the only solution, but it's something that we can do differently. Of course, I truly believe we need to do something different to have a different outcome. Next question. Why is this standard higher overseas? Just more competitors, more interest in the sport? Question mark. Yeah, so more more competitors, absolutely. Uh, I think also the level of coaching, um, the level of knowledge. I don't think we have a lot of good coaches in Australia for bikini at all. Um, and that's reflective in, in the fact that we only have one Australian bikini Olympian, right? We're going to have more than that this year um, because we're going to have other ladies qualify. But it's reflective in coaching. It's reflected in mindset. It's reflective in culture. It's reflected in what's rewarded. If the conditioning level is held back because that's the standard, ladies aren't going to push to that level of conditioning, right? And if they're not going to push to that level of conditioning, they're probably not going to push to a certain level of size. And they're not going to have the flow, the proportion, the posing, everything to get to that standard, right? But what happens is, is that Alex is obviously the first bikini Olympian in Australia. That's like the first to cross the four-minute mile. So Alex is the first. Now, because Alex has done that, the floodgates are open. Australians are going to believe it's possible and that's going to start to help build momentum with the Australian amateur community as well as the professional community. And I believe that there's going to be more. But it comes down to a lot of factors and it starts with, I believe, what's rewarded on an amateur level. So next question. Can amateur Aussies go overseas, sorry, can amateur Aussies go over to other countries and do any comps outside of the outside of Arnold or, or Olympia? Yes, Absolutely. So there are certain requirements, of course. If there's no qualifying show, so for, for example, Leonardo hires in March, right? 
I believe that you probably get a special, you probably contact IFRB Pro League Australia, get permission to compete um, for that show because there's no regional qualifying show before that. So you probably get permission and you'd be good to go to compete, for example, the Arnold Ohio. Um, the general rule to my knowledge is that if you wanted to compete overseas, let's say you want to compete in September, you would need to do a regional show in Australia to qualify to compete at that show. Some shows have different rules, so you would have to check with the rules. But in, in general, that's what they used to do back in the day. So um, you Aussies can compete overseas. You can compete in Spain. You can compete in Portugal. You can compete can, can in Poland, wherever you want. You can do it. You can do it in a European show. And uh, I believe Sophie from Queensland uh, did that as well. She did some European shows. All right. Uh, or, or do we need to qualify somehow first? That was the other part of the question. All right. So the biggest thing you've learned from watching the international shows, uh, I'm not going to give away what I've, uh, some of the key things that I've learned. Obviously, I've, I give as much value as I can on these podcasts without giving away everything. So I, I just say that to answer it very vaguely is my, I've upskilled my lot, my knowledge massively and it's confirmed a lot of things in my head and it's, it's helped me be a better coach. And you're going to see that in a lot of the results this year. Do you think there are more natty competitors from Australia than overseas? That's a very hard question to answer. I don't know because I don't, I don't know what ladies do overseas. I don't know what the culture is. I don't know. And really, I don't know what like ladies do as individuals in Australia. I think it's really an individual choice whether ladies want to enhance or not. It's up to them. So it's everyone's different, right? So it's just, it is what it is. This, so this is so when Australian show, when Australian shows staff yell at athletes, but I hear the USA is so much nicer. Yes. So the okay. So the amateur Olympia in Vegas, very nice. The staff backstage, no one was yelling, no no screaming, no carrying on, not stressing out competitors. So when you're dealing with um, any competitor, but particularly ladies backstage, you want to have them calm and chill, and ensure that they're having a good experience backstage. Traditionally in Australia we've had a lot of complaints backstage and I've witnessed it firsthand. And of course I've had my run-ins with, with people backstage with how they speak. And I think there needs to be a level of respect backstage from staff to athletes and from athletes to staff and from athletes to coaches and coaches to athletes and coaches to staff and staff to coaches. If there's no level of respect, it's going to create a bit of bullshit backstage, but I think that's something that needs to be considered and needs to be spoken about. There needs to be, I believe, a code of conduct. And um, if the experience is affected from an athlete's point of view backstage, I think it needs to be looked at seriously because it's going to affect retention rate. So the retention rate, I believe, in the IFBB isn't as high as it could be because like, we have an influx. How many times do we have, for example, first-time competitors in Season A and Season B win first, second, third? First time I wins the open. First time I wins the open. First time I wins the overall. That's because we're not getting repeat veterans competing again the following year or the following season. We're getting a new a influx of new new competitors and they'll they'll drop off because they might have a bad experience, etc. So it becomes a reoccurring problem of yeah, we've got all these first timers kicking ass. That's because we don't have a high retention rate, and it could be the fact that the experience backstage, which I've witnessed firsthand, sometimes isn't the best. And it comes down to how the athletes are treated. If you do, for example, a Japanese show, like I mentioned, absolute respect. It's an amazing, incredible experience. You're going to feel so... It's obviously a big expense to compete overseas, to fly to Japan, accommodation, etc. You've got to really love the sport to pay that much money to, to compete overseas. But a lot of these ladies that do compete overseas have a wonderful experience. So 
you can message any of the girls that did Japan and they can tell you about their experience backstage and, you know, their experience on stage and what a rewarding experience it was. And of course, it was a very stacked show. And I mean, the proof's in the pudding. You know, a lot of these ladies want to go back and do overseas shows. And same thing for the Olympia in Vegas. A lot of these ladies want to go back and do an overseas show or perhaps explore a different country or a different show. All right. So the next question do you think they will make the judging the same between Australia and international shows? Not yet. I think in order for that to happen, there needs to be education. Uh, there needs to be training for the judges. And like I said, we do have some good Australian judges, but I do feel like we need to have majority to that same standard. We need to have them upgraded. The skill set needs to be on that level. And that comes down to time. It comes down to planning. And it comes down to interest and passion. All right. So the next question do, 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 do. Um, hold on one second sorry i lost myself here thoughts on the wbff australian show starting to look like more overseas example example bikinis posing etc uh i i don't i don't really yeah i don't think so like for example tani Tani's the queen of wbff in australia she's the standard she won the australian pro show beat everyone beat all the good competitors in australia so Tani's the standard. And how does Tani look compared to, for example, Yaz, who is the world champion? I personally prefer Tani's look. I think Yaz is a very good poser. Yaz is, is, has got a different look to Tani. Tani is a bit more conditioned, a bit more fuller in the glutes. Both pose very well. Um, I wouldn't say that Tani and Yaz are remotely the same. They're very different. They're very different physiques, um, but both present very well in their own unique way. So... I personally think Tani's the standard for WBFF. And of course, I coach her. Of course, I'm going to say that um, because they're, they're, you know, people are going to say there's a level of bias. Of course, there's a level of bias, but it's also facts. Have a look at Tani's physique, top to bottom. I, I prefer it personally. I think the aesthetics, proportion, flow is all there. Um, I do think Yaz has got a lot of potential. I think she looks great. I just think the level of conditioning needs to be improved for me to go, yep, that's the world champion um, for this year. I think Tani's going to take it out personally. All right, so... The next question, posing differences. So international versus Australia. I think the international standard is pretty good. I think, I think the stage time overseas obviously is really good. They, give, they don't cut the competitor time short. So you do a routine, you get your full time. You know, they're not going to cut it down to 15 seconds. So I, I'm a big fan of that. And I think the level of posing is really good overseas. Um, it's definitely improving as the, as the sport evolves. Because you've got Olympians posing at a higher level now. So that's going to obviously trickle down to the amateur ranks because that's going to inspire other ladies to, to pose at a higher level. Uh, judging in Australia, thoughts kind of answered that. What are some things you've seen at these international shows that Australia needs? This is a great question. Uh, okay, so I think um, better scheduling. Like I said, Japan have amazing scheduling with the tan, with the, the, the scheduling of the day, the, the running order. They don't rush the athletes. All athletes get adequate stage time. So respecting the fact that bikini girls need to get the exact same posing time as allocated as everyone else. So if you're allocating a men's bodybuilding routine to be 45 seconds or 60, 60 second routine, that's exactly what the bikini girl should get. I, I truly believe it needs to be the same. If you're told you get a 45 second routine or maybe it's a 30 second routine, that's fine, 30 seconds. Then it is 30 seconds, it doesn't get cut down. I also think that staff need to be friendly backstage and need to be more accommodating to, to coaches. At the end of the day, coaches and athletes 
make make the IFBB Pro League money, right? It makes the WBFF money, it makes every organization money. So what is the best thing to do as you're running, at the end of the day, you're running a business, you're running an event, you give them the best experience possible. And in order to do that, friendly staff backstage, you know, simple, change a few rules, review. And look, not everyone's gonna get things right. I didn't get things right all the time. I make mistakes all the time, right? That's part of being human, that's fine. But what needs to happen, you need to review what you've done wrong and you need to implement change and to think about how to improve. It's just the way of moving forward. You gotta do it. So I think there needs to be reflection. I think there needs to be review and there needs to be game plans. It's like if I, for example, have an athlete and they compete and if they don't do as well, I've got to review exactly where, where, where like we went wrong and go, okay, this is what we need to do moving forward. This, these are the improvements. This is the level of conditioning. This is the level of posing. You know, perhaps the bikini, etc. You've got to review your performance and then make changes. The issue that I have is that I don't think that the things have been reviewed or implemented. Perhaps they're reviewed, but perhaps they're not implemented. I think there's no implementation of um, some really cool suggestions. So I think more stage time. I think um, friendlier, friendlier staff backstage, a more appropriate environment backstage, a more welcoming environment. Um, just need to mix it up a bit. I think, but stage time's everything. I think it's all about. Realistically, it's all about the athlete, right? It's all about the the experience of the athlete on the day and really creating a memorable a, a memorable moment because you know, you're know you dieting for 12, 16, 20 weeks, whatever your prep length is. It's a long time to dedicate yourself to a window to pose for 10, 15 seconds on stage. You know what? You want to have adequate stage time. You want to have adequate um, posing and comparisons. You really want to enjoy yourself and you also want to be competitive on the day and, and really fight for a top spot. And that's part of it. That's part of the sport is to battle, you know, ladies that you've met backstage, you know, whether you like them or not and really fight for the win. It's fun. So I think giving ladies the opportunity to battle it out and give them more stage time. I mean, I would love to see that. So is there enough high level amateurs, athletes in Australia to have more pro cards awarded? Hmm. It's like the, the problem is, is that we have a lot of high-level athletes that have gone AWOL that probably won't compete again. That's the, that's the thing as well, like talking about retention. So sometimes we have athletes that are very good that I believe could have won pro cards in the past or could have won open classes but get discouraged and then don't compete again. But I do believe that the talent pool in Australia is worthy of more pro cards. I think that we certainly... It, it would certainly encourage the growth of the sport. It would certainly encourage more ladies to compete. But I also think that we could improve on a few things from an organization point of view, from an event point of view, to really enhance the competitive experience. So I would love to see more pro cards. I'd love to see like another sort of all-female all classic or a mid-year pro qualifier and to really pump it up and to really make it about the athletes and to, you know, have an amazing day and amazing experience for the ladies backstage. And I believe that we're, we're capable of that because I've seen what the shows are like overseas. And, you know, like I mentioned, the Olympia in Vegas was incredible. My personal preference is the Japan show. I think it was absolutely amazing. All right, so how can we all work together to make bodybuilding grow in a positive way in Australia? I think, I think feedback. I think listening to feedback, accepting feedback and working on implementing change. So whether it's from an athlete's point of view, whether it's from a coach's point of view, whether it's from an event point of view, you know, we need to review our performance and think about ways and discuss things openly without criticism, you know, in negative, to be perceived as negative criticism. It's constructive and go, okay, we can improve in these areas. This is what we're going to do. So like for me, for example, I will look at things constructive and go, okay, for example, Alex just competed at Olympia. 
very, very proud of her. But I've already reviewed my performance as a coach and I know things that I can improve on to help not only Alex be a better athlete, because that's what I really want, and for my other athletes, for amateurs and pros, you know, to, to be better athletes, because I review my performance. So I think it's all about self-reflection and review and looking at things that you can in change and just going, fuck it, we're going to do that. We're going to do this, this, and this. We're going we're gonna to go for it and giving your best effort. You can't get everything right. Not everyone's perfect. But what needs to happen is a level of care, level of reflection, and then implementation of a game plan. So if you take action and you have that reflection type attitude and review everything, I think things can improve. And feedback is the key to success. It's the key, it's the, it's the way forward. Asking competitors, you know, what do you need backstage to have a better, um, you know, a better backstage experience, a better onstage experience, you know, how was your day backstage? How was your experience today as a first-time competitor? How was your experience as a veteran? Or if you see veterans backstage, you know, like sort of in the crowd, oh, how come you're not competing? Oh, I'm not competing because why aren't you really competing? Oh, I didn't really have the best experience backstage. I, I wanted more stage time. It's a long time to die, da, da, da. You get feedback. You collect information and then you find out where are the, where the where there's key specific issues that you can address. And then over time, you're going to continue to evolve. Like if you... Ladies, go to Japan, compete in Japan and, and, and see it firsthand and witness the show. And I've heard, for example, a lot of um, amateur shows in, in the States are very good. You know, when, for example, Nadia Chico, when she competed overseas in the States, was treated with great respect. They really welcomed her. And, you know, it's like that with the shows over there. So I definitely think that we can upgrade um, our experience and, and we can certainly um, move forward together. The, the sport's going to grow in Australia, for sure, because the sport's growing overseas. So it's just a matter of, you know, what do we want to do for implementation purposes? All right, so why is there no pro show? What about uh, opportunities for Australian pro athletes? I'm not too sure. I haven't uh, spoken to TD uh, about that, but I'm suspecting that... Tony's probably wanting to put on a pro bodybuilding show as well, and he's trying to work on. This is what. This is just me having a guess, right? I'm thinking that Tony really misses having bodybuilding in Australia, and he's probably working towards, you know, getting an Australian Grand Prix back because we obviously had the Arnold Classic bodybuilding contest, and you know, TD is the biggest lover of bodybuilding there is in Australia, and I think he really wants to focus on bringing a lot of categories back to Australia, and he's probably figuring out a game plan to do that. So. He might be putting off 2023 for Bikini and Men's Physique to potentially come up with a game plan for 2024 to bring the bodybuilders back, to bring figure athletes back and all these other divisions. So that would be my guess. Uh, Okay, so what was the backstage experience like as a coach compared to Australia? Way superior, 10 out of 10. Japan was amazing, incredible, like I mentioned. They treat you like respect. Uh, they let you do what you like. You're respectful of boundaries. They're running up and down. They're ordering athletes you know, around as they would, but in a nice way. I just think that the, it was, it was like, I, I loved going, I'm going to Japan again this year, 100%. So the Amateur Olympic Japan, November, I am going to go. So any ladies want to prep for that, let me know. I'm going to be there, 100%. You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's, and look, it's, it's, it's not cheap. That's what I'm saying. It's not cheap to go overseas. You know, you fly accommodation etc it's an expense to go overseas like i'm spending money because one i want to support the athletes on the team two because i thoroughly enjoy it it's awesome so if i'm spending money 
as a coach to go overseas to enjoy a show, to enjoy the backstage experience, to support the athletes, and to 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 have that sense of fulfillment. And it's very rewarding to see how happy ladies are backstage as well, and they're really happy with the onstage experience. I fucking love it. So it's a very positive experience, and I welcome more coaches to go overseas. Hell, coaches, go to Japan. You know, go to Japan. Have a look. Try it out. You see what I mean? If you're a true lover of bodybuilding, go to Japan. You're going to love it. Japan culture, awesome people, um, the show, the promotion, everything was just on point. Like, what's there not... You're like on the street. I was looking at, I was looking at my phone, right? Waiting for an Uber. And a random Japanese guy came up to me and he's like, are you okay? He, he was pretty much like stopped doing whatever he's doing to ask me if I needed help. But I was just waiting for my Uber. I probably looked lost. I probably do look a little bit lost in Japan, right? This like tall foreigner. And he was nice enough to ask me if I needed help. And that's how they are in Japan. So they're very welcoming. They're very courteous to, you know, in, in, to foreigners and to people that come in internationally. And um, that's just some random dude on the street that's not even close to the bodybuilding venue. So they're just very cool people, very nice culture. Yes, it's an expense to go there, but highly recommend it. So um, not just the backstage experience as a coach, just the, just the experience in Japan in general is very nice. And if you like shopping, ladies and gentlemen, like, if you like shopping, shopping in Japan is very good. I'm going to go with an empty suitcase next time. All right. So the next question, which show did you prefer more, Japan or Vegas? Why? Japan. I think from, from an amateur point of view, Japan for sure. I just felt like the the backstage was like really was run immaculately. They had, it was immaculate. It, they, they had a free weight section for pump up. They had just massive room backstage. Coaches were allowed to do it, do what you like. Um, everyone was respectful and courteous. Not that they weren't in Vegas. The amateur Olympian Vegas was pretty cool, but I just I just really enjoyed the Japanese show. And um, both are very cool. So I, I would encourage ladies to do both, but I would say Japan, if, if I was gonna go, you got, you got a budget, you wanna do one international show, go do Japan. Um, and I'm personally going back again, as I mentioned. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Would you encourage clients to compete internationally to win pro cards instead of Australia? Yes. It's of, look, the level of competition, it, it, it's, um, like I mentioned, the expense, accommodation, flights, cost of competing, etc. Expensive, yes. But if you're serious about becoming a pro athlete, eventually you're going to get, if, if you're truly serious about this game, you're all in committed, and you know you're going to get, and, and you know that you want to travel and compete as a pro, you're going to have to do that anyway, regardless, to do pro shows overseas. Like, look at Bridget Bailey, for example. She loves competing. I always see her always compete at overseas shows. You know, she's done Japan before. She was just recently done the Hawaiian Classic. You know, she's flying overseas and doing multiple shows. She really enjoys it. She loves the lifestyle and she's always in shape and she's always competing. So, you know, Bridget Bailey, for example, is making the most of a pro card. You earn a pro card or you, you want the opportunity to earn a pro card. Your goal is to, you know, to compete on a pro circuit. Why not compete internationally as an amateur? Because you're going to be doing the same thing as a pro logically. So for me... If you're serious about the sport, why not compete overseas? Of course, it, there is an expense. Of course, it costs a bit of money, but it's going to be the same thing when you turn pro. So why not do it, right? I also say this though, if you're not up to standard and you're going to get your ass kicked, probably wait a little bit, yeah? Don't just go, I'm going to do a, my first show ever in the IFBB and I'm going to do it in Japan. Wouldn't recommend that, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't recommend that. I think compete in Australia, get some experience, and then... Look at competing overseas once you've got the density, once you've got the mindset, once you've got the posing, you've got the level of conditioning, etc. Because it's no joke. There's a reason why no Australian competitors didn't win a pro card at, 
um, you know, amateur Olympia in Vegas because of the caliber of competition absolutely smoked the Australian competitors with all due respect. They're just levels above right now. Obviously, Emma Berman was successful in Japan. That was fucking awesome. She's got a lot of density. She's got a lot of muscle and was very deserving of that pro card in Japan. So in order to get a pro card to compete successfully, you've got to have the density, you've got to have the posing, you've got to have the condition. Emma Berman was in really good condition, won a pro card in Japan. You know, she's in very good condition and was probably held back a little bit in Australia in terms of conditioning in general anyway. But, you know, could probably push the conditioning side of things a little bit more in Japan because it's allowed. But just to give perspective, right? Uh, all right, so why is Australia lacking stand compared to international level? Is it drugs? Is it coaches? Is it opportunity? I think there are everything. I think opportunity, I think the judging standard, when you get held back and you say, okay, that's the conditioning that's allowed, don't get any leaner than that. Then you go over to Japan and then you're too soft, you know? Or you go to Amateur Olympia in Vegas and you win your class but the ladies that beat you in the overall for a pro card are just better conditioned and better proportioned. So the, the coaching standard in Australia isn't that high. Um, the level of physiques that are rewarded, the, the, I, the conditioning, as I mentioned, is held back to a certain degree. So it, it doesn't help ladies push to that next level. So I do think eventually things are gonna change and they are changing because we are having ladies that are getting better and that are gonna be successful. Obviously, like Alex, you know, won a pro card in 2020. In 2022, she's on the Olympia stage. When has that have ever happened in Australia? Yeah, and and third call-out. I believe Alex could have been in the second call-out, but third call-out's fine. Third call-out and the most stacked Olympia ever. This year, 2023, Alex has got potential to be a serious contender for to be a top 10 Olympian. I truly believe Alex can be in a top call-out with some, you know, minor adjustments in the right areas, and we're going to make those improvements. That's a competitor in Australia who was an amateur in 2019. She just got a pro card in 2020 before COVID and we were locked down in COVID in Australia. Crazy, right? So with the pandemic, a lockdown forever, la da 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 The point is, is this, Alex has, has made it happen. You know, there's gonna be more Alexes that are gonna come out of Australia. So I just think, you know, wh why did Alex get there? Her, obviously her level of dedication, her mindset, etc., combined with the right coach, obviously, right? So what happens is when you've got the level of dedication, you've got the belief, you've got the right coach, you've got the right formula, anything's possible. So we just need to recreate that same formula with multiple athletes. And for example, for me, that's my goal. I'm going to produce multiple Olympians, you know, not just Australian bikini Olympians, but international bikini Olympians, because that's my mindset. That's where I'm heading. And if more coaches had my, my line of thinking in Australia, we would have a better standard in Australia. That's my logic. Because I looked at it and thought, fuck, there's an opportunity for Australians to, to get shit going, to get things moving. I was like, this is my vision. I want to have bikini Olympians in Australia, right? I want to be the first coach to do it. I want to have multiple bikini Olympians. I want to have international bikini Olympians you know, as a coach. That was my goal. That's my vision. And it's coming to fruition. So it all starts with the vision. It all starts with the dream. It all starts with the belief. All achievement stem, you know, stems from a burning desire, Napoleon Hill. And when you have that vision and when you have that belief, shit's going to happen. You'll find a way. And then you'll put the work in and develop physiques and you encourage competitors, whether you're a coach, whether you're an athlete, you, know, you surround yourself with winners, with having a winning mindset. You start studying the sport. You start taking it seriously. You say crazy shit and you get scared of your goals and you go, fuck, how do I get there? I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to find a way. 
eventually something's going to click and you're going to make it happen, right? And that's what happens. We're going to have more Bikini Olympians. So I truly believe it's a combination of everything, right? I'm going on a rant now. But my point is, is that anything's fucking possible if you truly go all in commit. And there's a level of commitment. There's a level of dedication. Nays, for example, doing the Singapore Pro Show in seven weeks' time, I think she's looking awesome. I truly believe Nay is going to be the second Australian to qualify for the Olympia and she's going to be an Olympian this year. Absolutely. 100%. In my mind, it's 100% going to happen. Right? And then there's going to be more Australian competitors that are going to qualify for the Olympia. But it all stems from that burning desire. Nay's got that desire. She's got the work ethic. She's committed. Right? And I've got her back and I'm, put, and I'm, I'm supporting her. I'm a small part of, of, um, of her competing. At the end of the day, it's, it's on Nay. She's, she's killing it. Right? But that's an example. So you've got to you got to have the desire. you got to have the support system. you got to have the right environment, the right coach, the right training, the right mindset. In terms of opportunity, some athletes are held back as the amateurs, and I think that you know, can be an issue when the level of conditioning isn't rewarded. You know, I think, for example, I said this before, Sweda, as a junior, is one of the most impressive juniors I've ever seen, if not the most impressive junior I've ever seen in Australia. Right? Couldn't win a state show couldn't win a state show which was a load of load of you know what right respectfully so when that happens and when other athletes see that happen and go i'm confused at that result what happens it it deters people you know some people have got dog in them and they go fuck you and they go back harder and they they work for it and they keep pushing but then some people feel defeated and it's, it's, it's human nature to, to feel a certain way. You know, you, you could go one way or the other. It is what it is. But some ladies feel defeated and then they don't, they don't stick, it, stick it out. You know, like, for example, I think, like, going old school, Bikini Pro, if you're thinking about, like, Shanna Baker, I think Shanna Baker had amazing potential, wonderful potential. You know, very you know, good-looking woman, really nice small waist, big glutes. Shanna Baker was the shit when she was competing, in my mind. Right, I thought she was awesome. Still is awesome, but just didn't reach her full potential. And why didn't she reach her full potential? I just think didn't have the right uh, coach at the time, or the right support system, perhaps around her, the right environment. Of you know, you could have belief, you could have drive, you could have everything connected together to be, you know, winning pro shows or to be an Olympian. And Shannon Baker, I believe, if she, for example, came back and decided to compete and went all in, should be an Olympian, hundred percent. Because she's got, she's got the look. She truly does have a, a really good bikini look. And there's many Shannon Bakers out there that are very impressive that are capable of being bikini Olympians. But they need to have everything there at the right time. The right coach, the right support system, the right dedication, the right training, the right nutrition. And that's another thing. Everyone has their own way to do things, right? When it comes to training, when it comes to PEDs, when it comes to no PEDs, etc. But... If someone hasn't got there before, why the fuck are you going to listen to them? You know, truthfully, you know, if someone hasn't won pro cards, someone hasn't gone to overseas shows, right? What is the point in listening to people who have diddly shit experience coaching bikini? It blows my mind. How can you go to the next level as a competitor when your coach doesn't know diddly shit about bikini and couldn't give two fucks, right? When they're interested in classical bodybuilding, when they're interested in men's physique, when they're interested in you know, other divisions. It's just not logical. If you want to be the best of the best, you want to go with someone that understands 
the category, that has a passion for the category. It's just common sense. If I, for example, was gonna compete, right, and I wanna be my best self, let's say I wanted to do classic. Do you not think that I'm gonna get the best classical, <laughs> classical bodybuilding coach available? I'm gonna do my research and I'm gonna hire the best available. Why would I not do that? Why wouldn't I hire the best posing coach? Why wouldn't I hire the best coach to put myself in the best possible position to succeed, to gain the knowledge? And that's another thing. So many people need to drop their fucking ego in this country. Everyone's a fucking expert, but no one has done diddly shit. Humble yourself. Learn, listen, be a sponge. Alex is a fucking sponge. That's why she's an Olympian. You know, Nay is soon to be an Olympian sponge listens to the advice, takes feedback from judges, takes feedback from, you know, myself as a coach. There's no ego there, you know? And sometimes it's, it, you gotta have a hard conversation with someone and say, this is the reason why this happened. Boom, 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 boom. I've studied this, da, 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 da. Have many conversations, right? With different athletes about certain things. Some athletes get pissed off. Some athletes think they're the shit when they're not, right? So going on a rant here, I think that there's a few problems, but realistically, if you have the desire to get a pro card, you have the desire to win a pro show, you have the desire to be an Olympian, you can truly do it, provided you haven't got a fucking shit waste. Because <laughs> if you haven't got the structure for it, you're going to find it really challenging. I, I suggest become a coach instead. You can still compete and enjoy it. You're just not going to make it to the Olympia, I'll tell you that. Uh, anyway, I think that will do it, guys. Next podcast, give me some, give me some topics, give me some questions, give me something you want to talk about. I'm gonna, I've got a few things I want to do. I definitely want to do a podcast with uh, Nay coming up, probably discussing you know the lead up to the Singapore show, etc. I'll do an Olympia sort of wrap up with Alex. I think there's a few other things that are, a few other topics that I'm, I'm going to run. Of course, I'm going to do potties more regularly this year. I've made that commitment to myself. I'm going to try to pop out, you know, one at least once a fortnight, and if not every other week. But I need topic. I need feedbacks. I need guests on you want to you want to have an athlete come on message me you want to debate me about bikini let let's do it let's have a debate about bikini let's talk about the judging let's talk about you know the amateur standard let's talk about shows if you disagree with me on on someone uh, on, on, a, on a placing talk to me about it. let's go let's have a debate let's have a discussion let's have some fun guys thank you for listening if you like this podcast we greatly appreciate if you'd share it on instagram land if you have any questions dm me send me a message debate me let's go until next time thank you for listening and peace